Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. If you'd read along with me, and we'll pray together. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Eodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you grant us peace that surpasses our understanding, that guards our hearts and minds. We pray that we would find peace in you this morning. For those that are going through trial, going through difficulty in time of confusion, would you meet them in a special way? Where there's broken relationships, where there's division, would you bring unity? Where our attitude is one of grumbling and complaining, may it be replaced with rejoicing. May our minds be fixed on things of virtue. As we sang, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. We welcome you here, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to be looking specifically at peace that fortifies. We have titled the book of Philippians, our study, Fortify, because the truths in these pages, in these epistles, they do fortify our lives. Specifically, we're going to be looking at fortified in relationship. Finding peace in relationship will discover that there's two prominent women inside of the church of Philippi that are in a place of division and disagreement. We're going to look at attitudes that are going to bring peace. Attitudes are very important in our lives, the attitudes that we adopt. We're going to see God's pathway to peace, how we can trade in worry for, for peace, and then finally to have peace in our minds, a thought life that is going to bring peace. So let's look at verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy, my crown, so stand fast in the Lord beloved. Paul ended the last paragraph in chapter 3 that we're citizens of heaven. In light of being citizens of heaven, what matters to Paul? It's people. It's the church of Philippi. And he says, I want you to know you're loved. I want you to know that you're my crown. You're my glory. I'm looking forward to being around the throne room of God and seeing you there. The more that we get an eternal perspective, I think the more we gain a heart for people. I want to invest in people to make an internal impact. Stand fast in the Lord. Now we get into our text. I implore Eodia, I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind. These two women were at a place of disagreement. Paul could have wrote to them and he could have said, you're odious and soon touchy. 
Eodia and Syntyche. Get it? You're odious and soon touchy. See what I did there? Oh. But Paul doesn't do that. He doesn't actually get into the disagreement between these two ladies. So we then deduct from that that this is probably not a disagreement over biblical doctrine. Because when there was false teaching, Paul was not shy to deal with it. Also, this is probably didn't begin, its origin of the disagreement didn't begin with sin. It's not that one of these ladies is in adultery or has made some compromise morally. This is probably a conflict of personality, a conflict of opinion, a conflict of view that then could have led to sin, but definitely led to division. Does that ever happen amongst the people of God? Do we ever have personality conflicts uh, with each other? Never, right? Of course it does. Sometimes it's like sandpaper to your soul, right? Another believer, and all of a sudden there's an argument that occurs. You can imagine that this became a pretty big division that Paul would have to address it in this letter. These letters would be read orally to the church. It's not that everybody had their own copy. They didn't get their email. They didn't get their ebook of the letter of Philippians. The pastor would be reading this letter, such a nice letter, and then comes to chapter four, and here's Iodia and Syntyche, and there's this tension, this awkward tension between the two of them, and all of a sudden their names are in the letter from the Apostle Paul. And he says, be of the same mind. It's time for you to walk in unity and walk in peace. So the first thing that we see this morning is that there's relationships to be reconciled. There's relationships that God would want to reconcile. Is there a relationship in your life this morning with another believer? And it's not an issue of biblical doctrine, though we want to make it that. You know, we, we, we want to try to paint the other party that they have departed from the word of God. It's not an issue that they failed morally and their sin that needs to be confronted. It's somehow we've gotten sideways. Somehow we're no longer on the same page. This is a big deal for the Apostle Paul because he knows the danger of division inside of the church. Satan loves to divide the church. Why? Because when the church is divided, Christ bleeds. The testimony of Christ is destroyed with unbelievers, with a lost and dying world. They're saying, look at the way believers treat each other. They claim to know the love of God. They claim to, to love each other, but yet they're fighting over this minute issue. We always have to be careful to protect the unity of believers. I believe that the whole book of Philippians is leading up to this point. The Apostle Paul had it on his mind to deal with the division between these two women. But instead of right after his introduction calling out Iodia and Syntyche, he lays this great foundation of Christ is our life, chapter 1. Chapter 2, to have the mind of Christ, to be others-centered, to esteem others better than ourselves. And then finally, to forget those things that lie behind and press forward to those things that lie ahead. Now all he has to do in chapter 4, verse 2, is say, be, be of the same mind. Doesn't get into the disagreement. Doesn't say who's right, who's wrong. He's saying there's a bigger vision. There's a bigger purpose. You can let go the disagreement 
and choose to be of the same mind. What is our purpose as believers that we all share? To know Christ, to make Christ known, to preach Christ to those that don't know Christ as our Savior. So sometimes we have to let go our petty disagreement and say, you know what? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to bury the hatchet. And if I'm going to bury the hatchet, don't dig it up again, right? Just, just let it go. It's time to walk in unity. Does this apply to any relationship in your life? Maybe it's very close and very personal. Maybe it's in your home with your spouse or, or with your kids. If you're single with your roommate or maybe it's with a parent or a brother or sister. Or maybe it's a close friend inside of the body of Christ. And everything inside of you wants to lay your case out. Here's Eodia's case. Here's Syntyche's case. Here's, here's where it went wrong and here's where it went right. And Paul says, no, there's, there's a bigger vision and it's to be of the same mind. Psalms 133 speaks of the beauty of unity. It says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's good and it's pleasant. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, when the high priest would be anointed, run, running down the edge of his garments. It's like dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion, for the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. There's a blessing that comes through unity of believers. Our lives are fortified as we walk in peace with other believers. There's nothing that's going to rob our joy more than broken relationships with other believers. Verse 3, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow's workers, whose names are in the book of life. We don't know who the true companion is. Paul says, true companion, you know who you are. I want you to get involved and help this situation. Go help these two ladies. Sometimes God calls us to be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God. We're walking in God's footsteps as we choose to be an instrument of peace where we can humbly come alongside two believers that are in a place of disagreement and say, hey, let's be of the, the same mind. Also encourages the true companion to encourage Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Has Paul left this issue of the two women that are fighting? No. He's bringing back the reality of your names are written in the book of life. This other believer that you're having a disagreement with, you're going to spend all of eternity with them. So why not get along now? And thankfully when we get to heaven, we'll be in a glorified state. We won't be sinners. They won't be sinners. But think about this. This, this believer that I'm divided with, and sometimes it can get really intense inside of churches. Churches divide over the color of chairs. You know, I'm sure churches have divided over the coffee that's served in the, in the foyer. Now, that is something worth fighting over. I mean, coffee is important, but I don't know about dividing a church uh, over it, right? Man, worship's like the sacred cow inside of the church. Everybody has their personal preferences for worship. It, it's, it's like we're putting in our iPod choices for worship, or we get to stream our choices from our Amazon uh, account uh, for, for worship. And some are like, I wish we sang this more, or I like this song, or I don't, don't like that song. It's, some like worship loud. Some like it really quiet. 
So you have churches that have completely divided over, over the style of worship. And we have to remember our names are written in the book of life. Saying, I, I can let go of this petty difference because we're going to spend eternity together. Inside of our homes, there's division a lot of times over things that aren't that important. Like the toothpaste. The kitchen, how the kitchen is taken care of. Those little foxes come inside of relationships and we're reminded we're going to spend eternity together. In verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This is attitudes to adopt. First, relationships to be reconciled. Now, attitudes to be adopted. We're going to be fortified. We're going to have peace in our attitudes. Chuck Swindoll, Charles Swindoll says that attitudes is the most important thing about us. An attitude is you choose. We choose to grumble. We choose to complain. Or we choose to be thankful. We choose to rejoice. You can't control your circumstances. But you can control how you respond to your circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what's going on. And again, I say rejoice. The context in which this command is written is a division between believers. So get your eyes off of this other believer that you're having a hard time with. Get your eyes upon the Lord and start rejoicing. Broken relationships can rob us of rejoicing. The word rejoice is to be glad in. Be glad in the Lord. How do we do that? One way is to sing to God. We are commanded in the Psalms to sing to God. It doesn't say whether you like singing or if you have a good voice Are you sing off key? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Your voice might sound like noise to the Lord. It's a beautiful sound. What happens when we sing to the Lord? We begin to think about his character. We begin to rejoice in him. We're taking joy in him. Another way is to express thanks to God. God, thank you that you never leave me, that you never forsake me, that you don't give up on me that you're faithful in spite of me, of my weaknesses and my sin. What happens to your heart when you start to rejoice in the Lord? How many times have maybe you've come into this sanctuary a bit bummed out, a bit discouraged, and you find yourself singing to God, and by the end of the worship, your spirit is lifted? How many times maybe when you're driving in the car that you decide to give thanks to God and sing to God, and the end of that drive... Your heart has been encouraged. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Church, we're going to rejoice in something or someone. We're going to look for a source of satisfaction of living water. Jeremiah 2 verse 13, God speaks to the nation of Israel and he says, You've committed two evils. The first, you've forsaken me, the fountain of living water. They had left their true source of joy. That was the first evil. The second evil is they began to dig wells, dig cisterns to try to satisfy. You probably caught it in the news just a few days ago. The lead singer of Lincoln Park, 41 years old, committed suicide and he hung himself. Think about that. That's the the ultimate result of the work of Satan in someone's life. Satan comes to rob, to steal, to kill, and destroy. From a worldly perspective, he had everything this world has to offer. 
popularity, position, more money than what he knew to deal with, if those things could provide peace, if those things could provide satisfaction, why is he hanging himself? And it's a lesson for us, and it causes us to go, am I looking to this world for my joy? Or am I looking to Christ? Rejoice in the Lord. He is the living water. John 4, Jesus spoke and declared that he is living water. He wants to pour living water into us that we could become a fountain of living water. It's the splash effect where we begin to splash upon others. For some of you, there may be a relationship to seek reconciliation. For others, it's been a really long time since you've rejoiced in the Lord. Gone through your days just trying to get through, find satisfaction under the sun, and God's saying, rejoice in me. Always rejoice in me. The second attitude to adopt is let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Gentleness is forbearing. It's a non-retaliatory spirit. The ESV version translates gentleness as reasonableness. Again, the context is division. When there's an interpersonal conflict, it's very easy to get emotional, to lose gentleness, to lose reasonableness. And here God's saying, be gentle. Have that be your attitude. A non-retaliatory spirit. Why are we gentle? Because the Lord's at hand. When Jesus comes in the second coming, he's coming as the judge to make everything right. Iodia, Sintiki, they don't have to worry about it. God's the judge. Unbelievers will have to stand before the Lord, and us as believers will have to give an account for our lives before the Lord. God's a judge. I can be gentle. I don't have to take a position of anger. Gentleness is really missing in our culture and society, isn't it? We don't value gentleness. In fact, we see gentleness, meekness as weakness. I suggest to you that gentleness is true strength. Anybody can lose their temper. Anybody can have a retaliatory spirit. But it takes the power of God within us to have the gentleness in the midst of a situation. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's adopt these attitudes. Let's confess, do I always have the attitude of rejoicing in gentleness? Absolutely not. Is there room to grow in rejoicing and gentleness? Absolutely. Do I have more peace in my life, more peace in my days when I'm rejoicing and gentle? Yes and amen, right? So these are great attitudes to adopt and apply in our lives. Verse six, be anxious for nothing. The next thing that we see is there's peace to be enjoyed. Gang, there's peace to be enjoyed. We're fortified in the peace of God. It begins, there's a path here, with not being anxious. God's formula is thanksgiving plus prayer and supplication minus worry is going to result in the peace of God in our lives. The word anxious means to be full of concern. We know what this is like. Maybe it's, there's bills coming that we don't have the money for. There's needs coming that we don't have the money for. And so we get overly fixed upon that and filled with concern. And we're mulling it over in our minds. Maybe it is a broken relationship. And it causes us to be consumed. And it's all we think about. And we're feel, filled with worry. We're filled with concern. There's many, many things that can cause us to be in a place where we're anxious. But notice 
what God tells us in his word is he says, knock it off. (laughs) Stop being anxious. Stop worrying. Replace that worry with prayer and thanksgiving. Jesus addressed worry in Matthew chapter 6. He declared this, Therefore I say to you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? God says, don't worry. Stop worrying. Look, I take care of the birds of the air. When we're worrying, we fail to see the character of God in his relationship with us. I'm not a big bird lover. You're not going to find me bird watching. Like, I appreciate some birds, but there's some birds that are absolutely obnoxious. And I'm like, man, God, it is your grace that you care for this particular bird. I'm sure they have a purpose in God's master plan of of creation. But God is so good to care for the birds. And what do they do? They go out and they gather what God has has provided. So if God's going to care for the birds of the air, how much more so is he going to care for you? So don't don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about the clothes that you're going to put on. He goes on to say, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Worrying accomplishes nothing. Write that down. Worrying accomplishes nothing. A lot of times in my life when I get fixed on something and I'm filled with concern, late at night I begin to think. Late at night I begin to worry. And it's like this giant puzzle in my mind and there has to be the right answer. There has to be just the perfect way to be able to to deal with this. And I start to move the pieces around. And if we do this in this order and then the later that it gets, midnight, one in the morning the more difficult it is to try to put this this puzzle together. And it doesn't accomplish anything. All I do is wake up in the morning, dead dog tired. That's it. We have a piece of metal that hangs on the wall in the hallway of our house where we've marked the kids' height. And it, and it goes, you know, from real small up to, up to six feet. So each of their birthdays, you take a pin and you write it on there and you put how tall tall they are. And they love to compare with each other like true siblings. Like, okay, this is how tall I was at five. And this is how tall you were at five. Thus, I am going to be taller than you, right? But all the worrying in the world cannot add one inch to your stature. If you're short, you just got to deal with it, right? If you feel like you're too tall, you just got to deal with it. There's nothing that you can do to change it. Worry accomplishes nothing. Jesus goes on in Matthew 6. He says, why do you worry about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon and all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore do not worry saying what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall wear. For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
And all these things shall be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When we worry, we get too far ahead of ourselves and we miss the trouble that's right in front of us. The lilies of the field, God cares for these flowers. They're arrayed in such glory, God's going to care for you. Would you endeavor to see worry as a problem in your life? It seems like for some reason, there's things that we just tolerate and we're okay with. There's certain things that we go, yeah, this, this is definitely bad. This is, this is, God commands me not to do this, but worrying, ah, it, it's no problem. We're not going to experience the peace of God until we see worry as a problem. Or we have to choose to say, I've got to stop worrying. I've got to stop running this scenario over and over in my mind and move on to the next thing. And that's this. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So as I'm choosing to stop to worry, I take that concern. It's not that I just say I'm not concerned, but I take that concern to God. And I wrap that concern in thanksgiving. God, I'm so thankful that you're my father. You never leave me. You never forsake me. Thank you that you're faithful. It's impossible for you to lie. And we need to be careful in trial that we do offer thanksgiving to the Lord Then we have that freedom with God. We get to come to our Father and we get to express all those things that we're we're burdened with. Give it up to the Lord. Lord, here's the financial difficulty. Lord, this is what's going on in my home. These are the things that are hurting me in in relationship. I just got this news that I'm diagnosed with cancer. Someone that I love is, is diagnosed with cancer. Context is division. Context is you've got two ladies who are fighting not living in peace, not experiencing the peace of God. Broken relationship can cause us to worry. Bring that to the Lord in prayer. Wrap it in thanksgiving. Hezekiah was a king in the Old Testament, and the Syrians were coming to attack. And at first he tried to deal with this attack in his own strength. He cleans out the treasury of the temple and tries to pay off the Assyrians. They say, thanks for the money, and they come back and attack again. You can't buy off the enemy. You can't... Br- bribe the enemy. This time, when he gets the threat from the Assyrians, it was a letter. He takes it into the temple, and he lays it before God. He says, God, we're in real trouble here. And the Bible says, the book of Isaiah says, because Hezekiah prayed, God sent the angel, and the angel killed 185 Assyrians in one night, because he prayed. I don't fully understand this. God is sovereign. He does what he pleases, but he chooses to move through the prayers of his people. He's waiting for us to pray about it. He's saying, make your request known to me with with thanksgiving. Give me an opportunity to be able to handle it, big or small. And here's the promise in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace with God is different than the peace of God. Peace with God is what happens the moment you receive Christ as your Savior. You're in Christ. You're forgiven. You're declared righteous. So you're no longer at enmity with God. There's peace with God. This is the peace of God for a particular situation, for a particular trial or difficulty. Here I am going through this challenge in life, and I have the peace of God. And it's a peace that surpasses understanding. 
It's not a peace that comes from understanding. Many times we want a peace that comes from understanding. If it's a financial difficulty, we want God to speak to us and say, this is how it's going to work out, and this is when all the money is going to come in that you need. So your rent, your mortgage is due, due here, and the money's going to come in this way, on time, in this manner. God rarely does that, if ever. If it's a relational difficulty, okay, this is how it's going to work out. I'm going to give you all the details. A challenge in our physical health. Here, here's how it's going to work out. I'm going to give you all the details. Sometimes he does. But most of the time he says, trust me. And I want to give you a peace that surpasses your understanding. I think of it this way with my kids when they were younger. Say they're riding their tricycle, still pretty, pretty young. Fall off the tricycle, scrape up their knee. Do you pick up that kid and try to explain to them and provide them peace from understanding? You hold them close to your heart, you put them right on your chest, and you say, you know, it's going to be okay. Daddy's got you. And they accept it. They go, okay, it's going to be okay. What if you grabbed that child, sat him down on the bench, and said, okay, now, now let me tell you how this works. You will be okay. It's going to hurt for about two and a half minutes. Then the sting is going to start to diminish. But then we're going to have to go up into mom and dad's bathroom, get the hydrogen peroxide. We have to clean this out. And it's going to hurt a lot worse. You'll get through that, but then we're going to put a Band-Aid on. And you'll feel pretty good when you've got that Band-Aid on. But eventually we're going to have to rip that sucker off. We're going to have to rip that Band-Aid off. And that even may be worse than the original injury. What's that child going to do? Be overwhelmed, right? Instead, you, you just pick them up and you hold them. You say, it's going to be okay. And you take them upstairs to the bathroom and do the hydrogen peroxide and pick them up again. Hey, dad's got you. It's going to be okay. And that's what the Lord desires to do. This is relationship. Who can know the mind of God? How do we understand his ways? If God did explain everything to us, we'd probably argue. We'd probably have more questions. So it's a peace that surpasses understanding. This takes humility on our parts because we want to understand. We find it difficult to accept peace that we can't understand. I remember being 16 years old. It was my junior year of high school. My parents came to my school, which was completely out of the blue. My dad was off of work which was very strange. The teacher says, hey, your parents are down in the office. You need to go. And as soon as I saw him, I knew something was terribly wrong. And they, we go out into the parking lot. My dad let me know that my close friend, my best friend at that time, had died in a car accident. I didn't understand that at 16 years old. And the weeks and the days and the months went by, and I still didn't understand it. And I tried to figure it out. Try to, well, where's the logic in this? God, God, what are you doing? There was no comfort. There was no peace. I came to a place in my room at my parents' house and got on my knees said, God, I trust you. And then I began to experience the peace of God that surpasses understanding. His ways are not my ways. Fast forward in, in my life, Amber's pregnant with Hannah, our oldest get another call from my, my dad. He's been diagnosed with prostate cancer. 
outside the prostate. Doctors say I've got six months to live. Thankfully, he made it through. It's been 12, 13 years later, 13 plus years. I didn't have peace when I got that phone call. We're, we were driving to a, an appointment for Amber early on in the pregnancy with Hannah. I, I wanted my dad to be a part of my daughter's life. And I remember a moment in wrestling through this over months. I said, God, I trust you. I know that you love my dad more than I do. You're going to do what's best for him. And the peace began to come into my heart. But I've never experienced the peace that surpasses understanding until I'm willing to trust. Until I'm willing to accept that I don't need to figure it out. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. It's a choice. I don't, I don't have to figure this out. But in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. As we come to that place, then God provides a peace that guards our heart, that guards our mind. It's that closeness with the Father. Church, this is a promise from God. If we'll choose to stop worrying, to start praying with thanksgiving, God will provide a peace that surpasses understanding and we're fortified in peace. We're enjoying the peace of God. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Thoughts to be filtered. Thoughts to be filtered. I know this is rocket science and it's mind-blowing, but verse 8 is after verse 7. Why? Because as we begin to experience the peace of God, if we don't have our thoughts meditated upon things of virtue, we will lose the peace of God. We'll start to think things like, how can I trust something that I don't understand? That doesn't make any sense. This doesn't seem fair. Why is this happening to me? And all of a sudden, the thoughts overwhelm us and the peace of God exits. Think of a filter, right? What does a filter do? Hopefully it catches all of the bad and leaves all of the good. In Flint, Michigan, all of the problems with the water uh, a basic water filter would have prevented those, those problems, from what I understand, from what I watched on the news, if you can trust that. How much freedom, peace, fortified of mind happens if we filter our thoughts? The word whatever is used over and over again, so you can think about whatever you'd like as long as it's true, as long as it's noble, as long as it's just and it's lovely and it's of good report and it's a virtue. Context is a broken relationship. The enemy loves for us to not think thoughts that are noble and true and a virtue when we're midst of a broken relationship. Allow the filter to be used. Maybe your mind is getting bombarded with bitterness Maybe your mind's getting bombarded with covetousness or thoughts of sexual sin. Whatever the case may be, we go, wait a second, that's not true. That's not noble. That doesn't have virtue. That's not, that's not trustworthy. It can be difficult to remember the list of verse 8, can't it? 
in the midst of daily life. So just think of it this way. Does this line up with who I know Jesus to be? Because Jesus is true. Jesus is noble. He's pure. Nope, this thought doesn't line up with who I know Jesus to be. But this is what we know. The battle is won and lost in the mind. If the mind is not filtered, relationships will not be reconciled. If the mind is not filtered, we will not have the attitude of rejoicing and gentleness. If the thoughts are not filtered, we will very soon count, trade in our peace that God has given to us. We'll lose the peace that, that God has given to us. Verse 9, our last verse this morning says, These things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul's saying, this has worked in my life. I'm in prison, and I'm experiencing God's peace. I'm in prison, and I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I'm in prison, and I'm being gentle. So you've seen it in me. Now receive it, do it, and the God of peace will be with you. Is there a relationship that needs to be reconciled? With it being reconciled, is it time to be of the same mind? It wasn't a sin issue. It wasn't a biblical doctrine issue. It was a personality issue. And now it's time to be of the same mind. There's, there's a greater purpose. Is there attitudes to be adopted? In just a moment, we're going to enter into two more worship songs, an opportunity to respond to the message. Seize that opportunity to rejoice in the Lord. Thanking God for who he is regardless of the circumstances. Choosing to be gentle. God, you've got this. What are you worried about this morning? God, you've got this. Peace to be enjoyed. What if this morning we traded in our worry, we traded in our anxiety, and we received God's peace? For some, it may be fairly superficial things, things of how we're going to get through the day. But for others, it's very deep things. Whatever the trial is, big or small, to say, God, I give this to you. I thank you that you're big enough to handle this. I'm going to cast my care upon you. In worship, do that. Spend that time with the Lord. Trust him and receive his peace. And then if you can get this mental image, what if you had a baseball cap that with it was attached a Brita water filter? Okay, we need a Brita filter for the brain, all right? So the thoughts, they just bombard us. They come to us, and I'm going to filter it through whatever's good, whatever's true, whatever long lines up with the character and nature of Jesus. Would you stand with me, and let's pray together. Father, we come to your throne room, and we ask that you would hear our concerns, our worries, our brokenness. And we want to take a moment to thank you. Thank you for who you are. You never leave us or forsake us. You're faithful. You've forgiven us. You've given us hope and eternal life. What request do you need to give to the Lord? Do I need to give to the Lord? Let's do that right now. Let's just wait upon him for a few moments. He's listening.
trust him. Let's express those words to him. Jesus, I trust you. Receive his peace.